well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Um, apparently, our computer system took the National Weather Service warning and shut down for the morning, so uh, we're here. Uh, but we're glad you are here uh, this morning. We're glad uh, that you took time out of your busy and uh, special holiday season to join us, and we hope and pray you had a wonderful uh, Christmas yesterday. Well, throughout the Christmas season, we have been looking at the Christmas story through the lens of the characters that make it up. Uh, we've seen the incredible faith of Mary and Joseph, as well as the wise men. And today we're going to see how Jesus, uh, the birth of Jesus radically changed the lives of some shepherds and how God used these unlikely men to proclaim his greatest news to the world. Uh, angels proclaiming good new, the good news of Jesus makes sense, but stinky, dirty, poor, uneducated shepherds, not so much. And yet God in his sovereignty is going to have the angels tell the good news to the shepherds, and then he is going to have the shepherds take that good news and spread it to the masses. Today, we're again, we're going to read that Luke chapter 2 uh, passage that we read at the Christmas Eve service. Uh, but today, instead of focusing on the angels' proclamation, uh, we are instead going to focus um, uh, on how God used that to redirect the shepherds' lives and transform them from lowly shepherds to divine proclaimers, the greatest news the world has ever heard. So we're in Luke 2, uh, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Well, dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, God, we thank you as always for the privilege it is to gather and to study your word. God, I pray that you would just encourage us and remind us of uh, who you are and your call in our lives to the story of the shepherds. God, we thank you that you came for all people, uh, God, and we thank you that you desire to use all people for your good and for your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing I want us to see today, it is simple, uh, but it's so important for us to see. And it's something that we have seen throughout this series, but the point is simply that, that God is not a reactionary God, but He is sovereignly in control. 
God is not a reactionary God. He doesn't panic. He, his sovereignty is over all aspects of all things. Even the most important and powerful people in the world will bow to his will. In Micah 5, chapter 2, some 700 years before Jesus was born, God gave this prophecy through the prophet Micah. Uh, it reads, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so God says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, but we have a problem because Mary lives in Nazareth some 80 miles away. But we know this isn't new news for God. This isn't a panic moment for God. He doesn't have to suddenly pick up Joseph and move his career. But what God does instead is have the most powerful man in the world decree a census and off Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem at just the right time for her to give birth to the Messiah in the town of Bethlehem. This is a reminder that God is in control. He is not taken off guard. He isn't surprised. He is an all-knowing God who, is, who all of creation bows to his will. Pastor Matt Chandler said it like this, I want you to marvel at how God uses governmental authorities for his purposes. He goes on to say, God doesn't just luck out here. God's not going, how in the world am I going to get Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Because I made that promise back in Micah's day. Should I use a dream or a vision? And then he's relieved because Caesar has come through for him. Now this is an elementary truth of the Christian faith, but it's so important for us to see and to believe that God is in control of history and he knows and he holds the details of our lives in his hands as well. God is a God who keeps his promises, that does what he says he will do. God controls history from a macro standpoint, but he is also sovereign over and cares about the details in our lives as well. God is still in control today. He still keeps his promises. The events of our world, the leaders of our country, the change in your job and your family, that doesn't surprise God. God is still in control no matter who the president is, no matter who the candidates are, no matter who the Super Bowl champion is. God is still in control. COVID and its fallout over the, has taken our world by surprise these last couple of years. It's been discouraging, it's been frustrating, it's been dividing, it's been infuriating. But none of it caught God by surprise. God is in control. He is not reactionary. He is in the details. And even the most powerful and most important people in the world bow at his will. That's a comforting and encouraging truth from this passage. God is not a reactionary God, but he's a God who has plans for your life plans for good. God is a God that keeps his promises and that loves you deeply. This should bring comfort and peace no matter what we're walking through. Instead of worrying about the state of the world, we can hand it over to God, trusting that he is in control, living in peace, knowing that he is in control and that he loves us. And then that truth is not just true on a macro standpoint, but it is true about you and your life. And it is true about each and every person on this planet. We've seen a lot uh, throughout this series, but the men and women that God calls to be a part of this Christmas story are reminded that Jesus came for all people of all nations, of all races, of all economic statuses, of all ages and education levels. Jesus came for all people. 
Last week we saw that with the wise men who were from a different nation. They were from a different religious background. Their lives were, were shocking uh, to, to be at the Christmas story. But yet God calls them to worship the one true God to come and worship Jesus. And we saw that they pick up everything and they follow obediently. And they get to experience the Savior of the world. And while the wise men were very much surprising to be a part of the Christmas story, so too are the shepherds surprising to be a part of the Christmas story. You see, shepherds in their day were poor, they were uneducated, they were outsiders in the eyes of the community. Due to their occupation and being around dirty, smelly, poopy sheep all day, they would have rarely been considered clean enough to even visit the temple and to worship with God's people. And yet God chooses these uh, uneducated, these poor, these dirty people to come and to be a part of the middle uh, of the birth of the Messiah. And so what we see in this is, again, it's a point we've seen throughout this story, but that is that Jesus came and is for all people. In their world, the shepherds were not allowed in the temple. They were looked down upon because of their occupation. They didn't come from the right family. Religion told them they had no place. And yet God calls them to come and worship Jesus and meet the king. And the hope of this story and the hope of Jesus is that we are really, we are all in the position of the shepherds. In that, apart from Jesus, we are all unclean sinners, unworthy of God. We have no way, no means to make ourselves right before God. We have no way to clean ourselves up. We are all without hope if we don't have Jesus, just as these shepherds were without hope in their Jewish faith. But on that Christmas night, everything changes when Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, comes in the form of a baby. God reaches out to the shepherd. He reaches out to you and me. And through the life and death of Jesus, he makes a way for us to be clean, to be sinless, to be righteous before God. The presence of the shepherds in this story gives hope to you and me. And it also should make us incredibly grateful for who God is and what he has done in our lives. We are unclean and unworthy, but Jesus makes us pure and righteous before God. So the angels, they come to these shepherds and they proclaim, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And in the midst of this good news, we see it reiterated once again. that The good news isn't just for the select. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for uh, us middle class Americans. But the good news will bring great joy to all the people. Jesus came to save all people, including the unexpected, the unclean, and the least of these in the eyes of the world. Another just like cool thing about this passage, not only does Jesus come for the least of these like these shepherds, but he comes as the least of these. Jesus is born to peasants in the middle of the nowhere town, and he is placed in a manger upon his birth. And because of their humble, humble occupation, these shepherds likely would have been the only people uh, that wouldn't have been taken aback by the angel's sign of a baby wrapped and laying in a manger. I think I'd be surprised if I showed up at a newborn and they were lying in a manger. But these shepherds could relate because they likely have been in the same situation. They would have more than once laid their babies down on the softest available surface, which, is the ma which was the manger meant for their flocks. What is just an amazing reminder of the humility of Jesus as well. What a picture of the reality that he came for all people. He came for the least of these as the least of these. So uh, in the first century, much like today, if you have a new baby, one of the first things you do is you go and you tell everyone about that new baby. 
You tell your friends, you tell your family, you tell the whole listening world about the baby that had been born. Well, that was the same in the first century, and it was especially commonplace to do this after the birth of the first son in the family. Because the first son was seen as an incredible blessing because it was the continuation of the family line. It it represented God's favor on the family. And so when the firstborn son would be born to the family, they would go out and they would hire what is called a herald. And the herald would proclaim that good news that a baby had been born to anyone that cared to listen. And if you had money in that day, you went straight to the top, right? You were hiring the the cast of Hamilton or Adele to proclaim this good news to the community around you. If you lacked in money, you hired the uncle with the cover band down the street. But either way, you were hiring someone to proclaim the good news to the world. So who would you expect God to use to be the herald of the birth of his son? To herald the good news of the king, the Messiah? Would he choose, and what we see is that he chooses angels and he chooses shepherds. One you would expect, the other not so much. And so the next point is that God calls the least of these to proclaim the greatest news. God doesn't just share the good news with these shepherds, but he instead turns them into the first heralds and proclaimers of the good news to the town of Bethlehem. Again, angels we would expect, but shepherds not so much. But when these shepherds hear the good news, when they meet the king, when they hear from the angels, they can't help but go and proclaim that good news to all that they meet. Look at verse 17. It says, when they had seen him, Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds hear from an angel, they meet the baby, and then they immediately go and tell the good news to all that they meet. And it says that all who heard from them were amazed at what they said. God takes these men that were the least of these in the eyes of this world, and he changes them and uses them to be the shepherds, the the shepherds, the heralds, the proclaimers of that good news to the world. Those that were farthest from God meet the king, and their lives are immediately changed. And they begin telling anyone that will listen about this Messiah, the king of the world. The reality is that's exactly what God desires to do in our lives as well. He desires and invites you and me to know the Savior, Jesus He desires for you to come and worship Jesus, to experience his forgiveness, his abundant and eternal life. And then he calls you, like the shepherds, to become a proclaimer of that good news to your friends, to your family, to your community, and to the world. God doesn't just desire to save you, but he desires to transform your life and turn you into a herald, a proclaimer of his good news. God has a purpose, a plan, a mission for your life. And that purpose and that mission is to join the shepherds in proclaiming his hope, his love, his salvation, and his forgiveness. That's how the gospel, the good news of Jesus has spread throughout the world. Everyday people, just like you and me, who have experienced the love and forgiveness of Jesus and are now sharing that good news with all that they know. In 1856, the great uh, English preacher Charles Spurgeon prepared for a Christmas sermon in London, England at his church. Uh, But that day, Spurgeon didn't choose to preach on Luke 2 or Matthew 1 or even John 1. But his passage for the day came from Mark chapter 5. 
In Mark chapter 5, you're not familiar with it, is the story of a demon-possessed man who could not be contained. This man was a danger to society. He was a danger to his home. He was a danger to himself. But in this story, Jesus enters the picture. He drives out the demon and he heals the man and gives him his life back. And then out of gratitude to Jesus, his deliverer who has rescued his life, this man says to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. I will be your constant companion. I will be your servant. Please permit me to do so. And that seems like a great response. But Jesus' response is surprising. He says to the man, no. He says, I essentially esteem your motive because it's one of gratitude to me. But if you want to show me gratitude, then go home to your friends and tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you. Go and tell them how he has had compassion and saved you. You see, the gospel of Jesus, it tames and it offers forgiveness to the the most ferocious of sinners. But then it sends those sinners back to spread the good news with their family and friends who can see that radical change firsthand. So friends, if you know Jesus, then know that you have been saved by Jesus. You have been radically transformed by him. You have been bought with a price just as this man was. And this man's initial response was to follow Jesus, to spend all of his time with Jesus. But Jesus says, don't just do that. Instead, Jesus says, go home and tell your story. Tell what the Lord has done in your life. Be a proclaimer, a herald of the good news. Likewise, sometimes when we follow Jesus, our tendency is to come to church as much as possible, to study the Bible, to learn the doctrinal statements and issues. And those are all good things. But Jesus says, you must also go. He doesn't tell this man to memorize the Old Testament before he goes. He tells him to go and tell his story of how Jesus has changed his life. Likewise, this Christmas season, God is calling you to go. To go and herald and proclaim your story of how Jesus has changed your life. You don't have to have every doctrinal statement memorized. You don't have to have the New Testament memorized. You don't have to know every eschatological view on Revelation, nor which one you believe. You just need to go and herald and proclaim and share how Jesus has changed your life. That's what Jesus called and told this man to do. It's what Spurgeon called his congregation to do there in London. And it's our call here in Green River. To be a herald, a proclaimer of the good news of all that Jesus has done in your life. Verse 20 of Mark 5, it says, This man who had been healed, who had been previously demon-possessed. He went and he proclaimed what Jesus has done, and those who heard it were all amazed. Share your story, herald it, proclaim it to the world. I know I've shared this in the past, but it's, uh, it's powerful or uh, to me, or at least I like it. Uh, the Charlie Brown's Christmas special was a staple uh, of my childhood growing up. But within that special, uh, there is this reading of this Luke chapter 2 passage. And throughout the whole story, uh, Charlie Brown is searching uh, for the purpose and the real meaning of Christmas. And in the midst of the hustle and bustle and school programming, he, he just can't figure out the meaning of Christmas. And so in the midst of this Christmas program, he he stands up and he's at his wit's end and he says, Can somebody tell me what the real meaning of Christmas is? And Linus, of all people, steps up. And he informs Charlie Brown that he can tell him the real meaning of Christmas. And at that point, he goes, into, he goes on to recite the story of Jesus' birth through Luke 2. 
And this is surprising because you would have expected the hero of the Christmas story to, to be Charlie Brown or maybe the outspoken Lucy, maybe even Schroeder or Peppermint Patty. But it, the herald of the Christmas story is Linus. Linus, who you wouldn't have expected at all. For Linus is merely Lucy's little brother who can't function without a security blanket. And yet Linus stands on stage clutching his security blanket and he proclaims the story of Jesus who has come to earth and brings good news to all people. Linus was just as surprising as the shepherds to be the herald. And I know that sometimes we just hear the notion that God is calling us to share Jesus with our friends and family members. And it just fills us with fear and anxiety. Fear that we will fail. Fear that we will be rejected. Fear that we'll mess it up. Fear that God couldn't actually use someone like me. And so often we ponder those fears instead of who Jesus is to the point that we never become the heralds or the proclaimers that God has called us to be. And Linus, in this story, he's that hero. He, he, Linus, whose life and existence, if you ever read the comic strip, his life is defined by fear and his unwillingness to part with his blanket. And yet he steps on stage and he begins to recite Luke chapter 2. And in the middle of this recitation, this proclamation, the writer Charles Schwartz, uh, Schultz sends this powerful message. For just as Linus says, verse 10, where the angels say to the shepherds, fear not. In that moment, he drops his security blanket and he devotes himself with both hands to fully proclaim the hope of Jesus. And in the same way, the Bible, God calls us to look to him, to ponder him and to trust him and his abilities and to leave our fears behind. We're not called to do it all on our own, but we are called to trust in God, to trust his abilities and to be faithful just to proclaim and leave the results to him. We spent some time on this during the Christmas Eve service. But again, the first thing the angels speak over the shepherds and they speak over our lives is the call to fear not. This command is spoken over all aspects of our lives, including the call to proclaim and share the good news. The call to go and to tell the good news on the mountains and all over town. And so our our next point is this. That is that God calls us to faith and not to fear. You might know this, but in the Bible, there are 366 times that God calls us to fear not. I don't think that's an accident, but there is one for each day of the year and even one for leap year. But for many of us, fear grips our lives. And what God speaks over our lives again and again is have faith, trust me, and fear not. That's difficult, isn't it? I think it's been magnified over these past couple of years. But we fear failure, we fear rejection, we fear for our future, we fear for our children, we fear of missing out on something. But the Bible again and again declares over our lives, fear not. Fear is not of or from God. We saw it in point one, but the Bible tells us that everything rests in God's hands. The Bible tells us that our days are already numbered. Jesus says, who can add a single hour to their life by worrying? And I don't mean to be trivial, because I know fear can be crippling, but the Bible says that Jesus is the answer. The answer to fear is to focus on Him and not our fears. The Bible says when we look to Him, when we trust Him, when we focus on Him instead of ourselves, the world, our conditions, then those fears fall to the wayside, 
just as Linus's blanket did. The truth of the Bible is that God has plans for good for your life. He has plans for you to rest in him confidently. He has plans for you to be a herald to the world around you. God has good plans for your life. Do you believe that? Do you trust him with your life? In Luke chapter 1, Luke records the story of John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. And after the birth of his son, John, he has a song of praise uh, to God recorded uh, by Zechariah. But the interesting thing about his song of praise is that he doesn't give praise for his son being born. But he sings praise because God has come to redeem through Jesus. And that redeem, that, that's, that redemption through Jesus is the hope that we celebrate at Christmas. It's what we are called to focus on as opposed to our fears. Emmanuel, God has come to dwell with us. But the amazing thing is John says because God has come to save and redeem his people, then he has enabled us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The Bible says to us when we are in Jesus that we need not fear because he has saved us. He is with us and he is sovereign and in control over our lives. Jesus has come and he has redeemed you. And because of that you have been able to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. What an amazing promise this Christmas season. God has come. He has redeemed. He loves you. And you need not fear if you are in him. So will you trust your life to him? Will you put your faith in who he is? Will you leave your fears behind? Because if God can use uneducated, stinky, dirty shepherds to proclaim his name, then he can certainly use you. And then note the response that the shepherds received to their message. Remember, these guys are, are not respected in the community. They are uneducated. They probably don't smell good. But it says that everyone who heard from them was amazed at what the shepherds said. That's a reminder that when we proclaim the good news of Jesus, it is all about the message and not the messenger. We are called to be faithful for proclaimers because it is the gospel, it is God that takes our proclamation and transforms lives. And that's our final point today as we wrap up. We are called to be heralds of hope to all people. We've seen it again and again in this series. We saw it in point two, but Jesus came to save all people from all places and all backgrounds. So as his followers, it is our call to be proclaimers of that hope to everyone we meet. God places people in our path, in our lives for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we might love them and serve them as Jesus loves them and serves them. So that we might love them and serve them in the love and the hope of Jesus. And so they might hear the hope of his gospel, of his good news from us. We are to use every opportunity that God gives us to love the people around us and to point them to God. That's our call, to love all of those that God puts in our paths and to point them to the good news of Jesus. God is for all people. And when we leave the results up to Him and when we trust them to Him, then we can proclaim and herald them without fear. So our call this Christmas season is to fear not and to faithfully and boldly proclaim the hope of Jesus the rest of the days of our lives. And if you do that, I can assure you that God will use your faithfulness to transform many of those around you. And that one day when those people share their story, they will share of your faithfulness and your proclamation. It is my prayer that God would use your faithfulness and my faithfulness to transform many lives in our families 
in our community and across the world. It's the beautiful and incredible message of Christmas. It's simple. God has come. Emmanuel. He is with us. He is for the undeserving and the unexpected just like you and me. And if you have, and if you're here and you, you don't know, or you're watching online and you don't know of a God that loves you so much that he sent Jesus to be born as a baby at Christmas, to live a sinless life, to be the sacrifice for your sins, then the hope is he loves you, he came for you, and he offers forgiveness to you today. Jesus' life and his sacrifice is the hope of the Christmas season. It is the hope of our lives as believers. It is the good news that we proclaim and share with the world. And so if you're here or you're watching and you don't yet know the peace and joy that comes from knowing Jesus, then we pray that today might be the day that you trust in him. So I'm going to wrap us up. Lori's going to come and just play a a final song while we pray. Uh, But a few different places we can be. If you don't know Jesus, then my prayer is that you would ask your questions. Investigate who he is. And my prayer is today that you would put your faith in him and surrender your life, your future, your plans to him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, who is it that God has placed in your life? Who has he placed in your life to love and to serve and to proclaim his hope to? And the question is, when will you proclaim? When will you this week proclaim the hope of Jesus over your friends and over your family? And maybe for you, that raises again that fear and anxiety. What fear is it that you hold on to that holds you back from proclaiming the good news? Would you, as Lori plays, just surrender that fear to him?